This is UK Motor Talk, and this is the Goodwood Festival of Speed 2022. Hi, I'm Mike. Hello, I'm Jim. And we're in the Electric Avenue right now. You've heard there from uh, Jim and Mike roaming the site. I've been in the collecting area, my uh, habitual hangout. Hopefully, we're going to spend some time over the weekend talking to people as they come through. You can probably just about hear the buzz around us. I'm sure there was a song about it. It was Eddie Grant, wasn't it? I won't sing it. I'll, uh, I'll save, your, save your ears. You're probably for the best, to be honest with you. We are so next to the Lotus Electra. Electra, we are indeed. It's uh, Actually, it's a very... I'm not going to say pretty, because that's not quite the right word for an SUV, isn't it? Striking. I was thinking striking. It's got striking. some nice details on it. It's in the right colour, so it's in yellow. Yeah, Norfolk, uh, Norfolk-y mustardy yellow, but with uh, there's a bit of a bit of pearlescent, so it's uh, almost an electrified colour, I think. It's uh, it's turned up, but the front is uh, there's a little bit of Ferrari in it, a little bit of Lamborghini in it, but it's uh, it's it's quite a thing. I mean, if you have to have an SUV and Let's face it, a lot of the time from the manufacturers, you don't really get a choice these days, do you? And if you want to cart your family around, uh, estate cars seem to be uh, few and far between, so it kind of has to be an SUV. I think if you're going to do an SUV, then I think I'd rather do it in something like this. It's lovely, isn't it? It is very ouracy, actually. Um, lots of carbon fibre splashed around the place. Just a really good-looking thing, to be, to be completely honest. Carbon fibre on the wheels, carbon fibre on, well, everything, really. The wheel arch... Uh, the little guards that normally are unpainted on SUVs, so the idea being if you knock them in the urban jungle, you can get them pulled off and replaced really cheaply. These ones uh, are made out of, uh, well, they're made out of carbon fibre, so that's not going to be so easy. Next to that, as well, is the Renault 5 EV, which to my eye looks absolutely amazing. That's a great looking thing. This, uh, this reminds me of the uh, the Honda E concept that we saw at Geneva a couple of years ago, doesn't it? When when it came out, it's like just make it like that. Don't don't do anything else to it. No design tweaks, no changes, no no this that. Just make it exactly like that. I'm sure that's absolutely fine. But I think we were looking at a, at a few older cars at the uh, Steely Looks on Thursday, weren't we? And I just I, I love those because it was they were designed and they were engineered. They didn't have to worry about how how far off the ground your high level centre brake light had to be or this that the other. It was just I want it to look like that and that's going to look like that because that works well and that's it. This that's what I like about concept cars. But this is uh, this is glorious. This thing. I think this is the first time I've looked at something and thought, Do you know what? I actually really like the idea of a Renault. I mean, it is a really great looking thing really has a lot of design cues from the original they've gone they've gone retro with this thing but it looks thoroughly modern and it it appears to have uh, black plastic wheel arch trims for the urban junglers you say but they're well almost like they've been covered in paint splatter or something but there's a there's there's a texture and there's a there's a color to them which is quite unusual i'm loving that but the other thing is that the, the renault boss has, has decided he's got in there and he, he's looked at all the the various designs for the for the cars that they've been producing and just taken the sporty ones and said no this is the one that people want make that and i think it's it's a good choice i know we've spoken about this at length but it, it this is the first time i've seen the car and the metal and it it looks really good really good it's it's definitely something that uh, that, that i would consider having uh, and it's it's one of these cars that has back doors that doesn't look like it has back doors you know it's just a a really great looking thing really great looking thing i hope when they put this into production, that the production car looks just like the concept because they've nailed it with this one. I think so, but it's uh, actually just looking up and down this uh, this electric avenue. This has got a hell of a lot bigger and busier over the last couple of years, hasn't it? Last time we were here, there were what four cars in here, five cars in here, I think. And now it's it's packed out, this, isn't it? And it, there's a, it's not just the the top end manufacturers. So I'm looking at a Fisker Ocean here, and there's a Porsche to my right hand side. We've got the likes of MG in here. We've obviously got Renault, as we've just mentioned. There's a bit of everything going on, but these are our normal cars that the likes of you and I can buy. And I think that's been reflected on the roads on the way in, actually. We were in a, a, a queue of about four or five EVs earlier on. Uh, Ionic 5 in front of us and a, and a few others in front of that. 
and uh, they, they were all heading this way. So obviously we, there's a few uh, petrol heads that are being well converted to uh, to electric heads, I guess. But yeah, some some nice stuff in here. Ferrari Lancia D50. Karun, this uh, place has become a bit of a spiritual home for you. I mean, I, I think I interviewed here first time you arrived here a number of years ago now. And you've built a career from your Formula One career, TV, radio, all across the media, because you've got the expertise and the love of the sport and the history. Uh, yes, all of the above. <laughs> uh, I'm not quite sure how to react. Uh, yeah, listen, I, I love coming here. I mean, this is, uh, I think, my 12th year in a row now coming to the Festival of Speed and I love going to the Revival and the members meeting and it's just a unique opportunity to see great cars, meet up with great people, uh, catch up with friends from other parts of the sport and just see some one, you know, it, it's the embodiment of why all of us fell in love with the sport, this event, so yeah. It's, it's very much, I mean, we're, we're all here essentially because we're fans yeah. and the guys like yourselves and a lot of the much older guys like me, yeah. we're still fans. I, I, I remember my first experience was was seeing Sterling Moss win a race in 58. I was seven years old, so yeah. you're influencing your youngsters now. Yeah, we've got two kids now and uh, they love it. You know, they love coming here. We, we love coming here as a family. Um, you know, the, the, the Duke of Richmond and his team do an amazing job of putting on an event. And, um, you know, I'm very privileged to get the opportunity to drive some nice cars up the hill, um, but also get the chance to show my kids uh, some some amazing bits of history because we're, we're very unique in our sport that we have a, a wonderful and rich history and it's very important I think for the young generation to understand that and learn about it and, and embrace it. So what are you driving this weekend? And no doubt it's got Williams in front of whatever it is. No, no, actually it's not a Williams for a change. Um, we've only got we've only got one Williams here, and uh, uh, obviously Mr. Mansell is going to be driving that one. <laughs> um, no, I drove uh, the Nelson Piquet's championship-winning Brabham BT52. I drove Graham Hill's championship-winning BRM, um, and also the uh, the Porsche 962, which is my dream Le Mans car, the Rotman's Porsche. So. Uh, yeah, very cool. Thank you for your time. I'll let you get back to your family. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. Thank you very much. A pleasure much. as ever. Good to Thank see you. Have a good weekend. Thanks. Cooper Bobcat. Well, if you're going to talk to anybody in the supercar paddock, look at the new selection of Paganis, and I'm talking to... Christopher Bagani. Yes, the man's got the right name, so clearly the right family. You're launching a new model here. I won't yet ask what it's costing, but it costs a lot, I'm sure. But are you finding it a very crowded market for supercars? You know, is it is it becoming more and more difficult, despite the illustrious name that you have as a supercar manufacturer? Well, first of all, it's the first time that we uh, share one Pagani car here at Goodwood festival of speed and we are very happy to be sharing the car with the, with the UK crowd and all the fans and everybody um, when it comes to the market we we've been uh, always looking after what's what's next and what's what's happening in the in the industry uh, luckily enough we always try to stay very low on volumes uh, our our philosophy is is uh, creating just a few uh, tailor-made suits for our customers so we produce about 40 to 45 cars a year so very, very bespoke yeah very very dedicated to each customer um, and we still own uh, the majority of the company we look after the relationship with every customer and we we create this unique models based on their dreams and passions so uh, we, we, we're very happy with, with where we are. I mean, this is the new model that we're standing beside now, and you're badging it up to go up the, the, the hill for the supercar run. I'm guessing you've probably sold most of the production of these already. So this car that you see here is the Huayra Codalunga. Uh, this car was already sold out in the drawings. Right. So we, we, uh, we have very, very excited customers. Uh, that uh, really enjoy this uh, bespoke projects. So when you see the car in real, 
they are all sold out at the end of the day. So um, it's a it's a long process to get into the design sure, and and sure. and sharing uh, the ideas with our customers. Which uh, when we then end up showing it to the public is a car that uh, it's a completed project. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So you're moving on to the next project now, I guess already. Yes. So in uh, in September. We are launching the next chapter for Pagani, which uh, if you follow us from a few years back, we've done the Zonda, the Pagani Zonda, yeah, which yeah. was the first model. I know somebody who has one. <laughs> and then we, uh, in 2011, we uh, unveiled the Waira, Waira model. Yeah. Uh, so this year will be the next uh, uh, chapter for, 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 the, for the family. Uh, the name of the project is uh, C10, because right. uh, Zonda was a C8 why I was C9 and um, we're very excited and maybe you were gonna ask as the next question they're all sold out too <laughs> already okay let's crunch some numbers because these are the things that people do want to know what's the cost of this car assuming you were able to buy one how much are your customers paying for them so the price tag for the Kodalunga is a 7 million euros plus taxes so um, it's it's a car that will be produced only in five units, yeah. so it's a very very uh, low uh, limited production, and um, it's really uh, a special unique car because every customer will be able to explore uh, every single thing on deciding colors, interiors, uh, the, the anodization uh, of the metals inside. It's a it's it's like a one-off, but on on a five units uh, sure. production. Sure. They're all sold out. Too, uh, too late for me then to <laughs> make a pitch for one. We <laughs> will have to talk to my father to see if we can squeeze another one. But oh, okay. um, it's really common for for our customers that uh, they enter the family and uh, when there's something new coming up, uh, they they want to follow uh, what we do, yeah. and, uh, and 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 so. We have many customers that have more than one Pagani in their collection. In many ways, for uh, luxury car manufacturers, you're following a model that was set in the 1920s and 1930s. Special bodies. It's like the coach builders that they were in the past. It was nice to see a recreation of history. (laughs) Christopher, thank you very much for your time. It's much appreciated. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Damon Hill in his dad's car. First time I've seen a Lucid in the metal, or whatever it is. It's a, a nice looking thing. I think, to my eye, it looks a bit more premium than the uh, than the equivalent Tesla. What do you reckon? It looks a bit bit more well. A bit more premium? Uh, yeah, I think so. There's, uh, I think there's the fact that there's still a few physical buttons, and I don't know, maybe I'm just a traditionalist, but... I don't want the inside of a car to be like the inside of a lounge. So this, this, although it's got some lounge-like features and nice swooping bits, there's still physical buttons. It still resembles a car inside, and it's a uh, yeah, quite nice. There's a, an interesting identity to this thing, isn't there? Because I mean, uh, there, there are bits of it to, that I think look a little bit French. There are definitely bits that look very German. Um, Maybe even a bit Swedish, perhaps. I was about to say, yeah, there's a there's a definite Volvo vibe about it, and there's uh, but then it's a it's a saloon car, isn't it? It's it's that traditional kind of shape. It's it's certainly not an SUV. It's uh, it's more like the Porsche, the Porsche that's next to it, just that saloon saloon plus, I suppose. It's an evolution of the saloon shape, isn't it? Yeah. So this is the the Lucid Air Dream Edition. The back the back quarter here, I would say looks particularly French. If you think sort of Alpine, maybe even a bit DS in, in some ways, and you might think I'm a bit mad, but have a look, see what you think. Side on, yeah, there is, there is definitely a bit of Volvo about it, as in the current generations of Volvo, but what I particularly like when they, they bring the cars down here is when they stick them on massive hoops. I think that the Lotus was on 23s. I mean, what's this on? 21s. Cars look better on big wheels. I know it's not the best thing necessarily for the drive or for the ride, but yeah, it's... Uh, they do look good. Yeah, they look uh, they look better when they're sat still on big wheels. I'll give them that much. Yeah. Cool looking thing. Very futuristic. By comparison to say, and I don't think it's a bad looking car at all, 
But if you look at the, the MG5 EV over there, which we've said before, we very much like the idea of it's an affordable EV, incredibly underwheeled. Uh, yeah, a bit underwheeled. I mean, it's uh, the, the MG5. I can't quite work out if it's if it's anonymous in a good way or a bad way. Is it or is it understated or is it like so? I mean, it's not a uh, it's not a striking thing. I don't think it's just a thing, isn't it? But is that necessarily a bad thing? Actually, having a car like that that looks just like a normal car. But let's face it, these days EVs are just normal cars, aren't they? You said before that that the SUV that my, my wife drives to take her is, is smart but inoffensive. It's not striking, it's not you know, massively desirable perhaps in terms of a, a sports car design. Well, but no, it's, but it's, it's almost as anonymous to the point where I was following you in it one day, we were heading somewhere and then traffic got in the way and then I was following you for seven miles but it wasn't you and I hadn't even realised it wasn't you and it actually it wasn't even a Seat that I was following I just thought it was you and then suddenly realised it wasn't so such is the uh, the anonymity of a silver SUV but yeah I mean, this is these are um, 17s start 17 so they're not, they're not a small to, wheel. To be 17s and look that small is uh, is quite an odd thing, isn't it? If you think back a few years, 17s would have been ginormous, 15s would have been normal, and now 17s get lost. I uh, I seem to remember looking at the, the brochure for my car, and it says it's on huge 14-inch wheels or something similar, you know. I, I will say, I think this is a, a very sharply styled thing. You know, it's as you say, it, it's it's not the most exciting, but I think it is a good-looking car. If you had this out in your driveway, you can see where they've um, been inspired by other makes. If you look at the back of this and think a little bit of Merc about it, a little bit of Audi. If you go, uh, if you're looking at the back of the car now, as as we are, you've got some quite nice tail lamps, dark in design, uh, the sort of red and sort of space out into sort of a Y shape, I suppose. If you're looking at it, I think there's there's a little bit of Lamborghini in those uh, in those lights, that shape with the little plips on the inner bits. That's yeah, and, and certainly the more recent uh, the more recent Audis. If you've seen an e-tron or something, for example, you would, you would uh, certainly understand what I mean. Um, inside, now the car's locked, which is, which is a shame, because you think of this kind of thing, you really want people to be able to get in and experience them and look at them, but a good-looking interior. Obviously, we can't tell what the material quality is like on this particular model because we can't see it, but it, it looks the part. It's smart. Yeah, you wouldn't be, you wouldn't be upset to be taking that home. I'm Vanessa Petit. I am the head of communications of Hispano Suiza. We're in the supercar paddock looking at this new car which brings back to life an old name. Now I believe the name has still been in the family ownership from way back. Yes, uh, in fact the, the president of the brand of Hispano Suiza is the stepson of the founder of Damia Mateu. And currently this brand belongs uh, to the same family uh, as the founder. So yes, uh, we are very proud to say that we are the fourth generation of Hispano Suiza. It's brilliant. I mean, it's a wonderful looking car. It certainly fits being in the supercar paddock. Fully electric as well. Yes, it's fully electric. When the, the family wanted to relaunch the brand, they were really convinced that they had to return with an electric uh, vehicle. So they thought about this kind of vehicle, a luxury hypercar, fully electric. For those that don't know, I mean, Hispano Suiza has been around since, what, about 1910, something like that? Yes, it was uh, founded on 1904. It was one of the best brands uh, at the time, yeah. And then they stopped producing cars because you know of the historical context sure. in Spain and also uh, around the world. And then on 2019, the mother of her president told her son, I want to see uh, another Hispano Suiza driving again. Her dream now has became, become reality. It's, it's a wonderful looking car. And it's just, for, for me, I, you know, I've always been interested in the history of the brands generally. But this was the car to own in the 20s and 30s. Yeah, the thing is, our head of design was inspired in the Xenia Dubonnet. Hispano Suiza Xenia Dubonnet. There's only one unit in the world, now it's in the United States. And I'm pretty sure that you can recognize uh, some lines of the Xenia Dubonnet. Yeah, you, you can see where he's picked up some bits and pieces. Lovely. It's, it's just good to see it back. How many of these are you proposing to build? Well, uh, we have only 24 units available. We have 19 for the Carmen, 
and then five units for the Carmen Boulogne. It's another version, a sportier version of the Carmen. And now, of course, we are working on, on new models and new options for the upcoming years. Can you tell us what sort of models are coming forward? I mean, just give us a, a taster, if you like. Well, I think it will be surprising, and I think it will fit with the Hispano Suiza fans and customers' needs. Well, I've been here many, many years, and there aren't that many cars here that I've not seen before. Hello, I'm Brett from RS Williams. RS Williams, very well-known restorers. This is a car, well, you can describe it. I, I've, I've never seen this before. You were just telling me it's just finished many years' restoration. Yes, it has. It's uh, an important car because it was, of the 19 Zagatos that were built by Astons in the 60s, or the early 60s, they only made three of them that are the ultra-lightweight race cars. Um, this has a longer nose than normal Zagatos, a higher tail. It was built for Mulsanne yeah. at Le Mans. Um, this was a works car that was entered by a French driver, Jean Kurgon, in 62, and again in 63. As I say, its sister car is 2VV, which is oh, yeah. driven by Jim Clark and the yeah. 62 TT. Yeah, famous car. Yes. Yeah, so it's nice to have all three cars. There's one more car that's out in the States, chassis 191, which is the other one, but they're, as I say, very rare. I hadn't realised, and, and, and now you mention it, I, I stand looking at it, it is slightly longer in the nose than the, than the other Zagatos that I've seen. That, that, that's very much it. And also the tail is different, it has a more bulbous backside, and it's a bit higher, off, higher than a standard Zagato as well, so there's a lot, a lot less rake on the rear windscreen. It's, it's lovely to see these cars being brought back and actually used rather than just museumed. Oh yes, very much so. I mean, yeah, the cars, the cars there to be used as, as as well as to be looked at. We did a few. We thought it was a little quiet yesterday, so we fitted the open pipes for today, because the sound of it is also part of the um, rich experience. Well, it's lovely. It's a delight to see it, and I, I, I just love anything that's got a Zagato badge on it. But uh, it's a delightful motor car, uh, and a credit to the company. You've done a super, super job. Thank you very much. There's a lot what, of people, a lot of hard work. What are the restoration costs, or don't you want to tell me that? Oh, no, I don't think we need to worry about that. <laughs> it's how well, never how much. Exactly. That's, that's a good, uh, good, <laughs> good way of looking at it. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. So having a look here, I can see it's called a, a Solo. Well, the company that makes the car is called Electric Mechanica. Um, we uh, trade in the States at the moment. This car's been on sale since October in the States. We're looking to bring it to the UK middle of next year. It's a commuter car, that's the idea of it. But it's a city car that you could take out of the city. It's got a top speed of 80 miles an hour. This one's got the range of 100 miles, but the uh, UK model will have a range of about 150 miles. So. It's a three-wheeler, the batches are in the sills of the car just here, so basically it really brings the centre of gravity quite low, so it's probably one of the most stable three-wheeler cars out there. Uh, yeah, just looking at the, uh, at the stance of it, yeah, it does give you that, that feeling with the front being that much wider, you can yeah. imagine it being, being reasonably stable, but over 100 miles range, I mean, that's, that's cracking, isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty good, it's, it just shows you that it's not just a city car, you could go out of the city if you want, it's even got a little bit of boot space as well, where you could put a weekender bag in there or something like that yeah, so let's pop around and have a look yeah yeah i mean it's in the boot yeah as you say you could easily uh, easily fit the weekend bags or shopping or bits and pieces it's it's quite a, a sensible size really yeah. quite convenient charging flap at the back of the car as well and you're looking at about a five hour charging time that's just from a domestic plug as well we uh, we haven't tested it on uh, fast charging yet well i think it's uh, it's quite a sensible idea because so many people get hung up on uh, on size and range you know people look at an EV and say oh yeah but the range is only 150 miles well how many miles do you do a day oh seven range anxiety we call it don't we? what sort of price are we looking at for uh, for one of these so we sell it in the states for 18 and a half US 
£15,000 in sterling. So we're looking between 15 and 20 probably. I would say about 17 and a half probably once, once you've got it in the UK. There's a few things to change on the vehicle just to get it on the road in the UK. But like I say, the quickest we can get that done by is the middle of the next year. But I think it will take off hopefully anyway in London for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, what are we thinking? A direct sales model or are we going to be looking at dealerships for, uh, for something like this? At the moment, probably when we first bring it, we'll set up our own kind of service stations in, uh, in the UK. Um, kind of pop-up shops and stuff like that and you'll buy it directly from the manufacturer and then maybe go into a franchise kind of thing if it takes off. But then really in terms of maintenance and, and service yeah, and bits and pieces, not too much really, no, is there? Not really, so it's belt driven on the back. After uh, 10,000 miles we actually just bring the, bring the car in just to check the belt tension and then after that uh, you've got five years warranty on the batteries and uh, three years all over for the rest of the car. So it's really, really low maintenance. That's the best thing about EVs. And then, so a, a decent range, what about performance? We know that most EVs feel particularly torquey and punchy to drive, but sort of power output and 0 to 60? So it's 17.3 kilowatts per hour, and the 0 to 60 is about uh, 8 seconds. It only weighs 850 kilograms, believe it or not. That's very light, light for, for an, an EV. EV. Very light for an EV, because we know how much batteries weigh. I wouldn't want to say it, but it, like I say, with the range it's got, the weight of it, it's just ideal. And I'll tell you what I actually really, really, really want to see would be a one-make racing of these, one-make yes. race series. I think someone, that would be fantastic. Someone mentioned it to me um, yesterday, like, do you think it would take off of a racing series? And put some racing drivers in I think it'd be an interesting racing series for sure as well yeah and I think actually I mean you could uh, with the size of it to be honest you could thread this round an indoor go-kart track to abreast yes. without too much hassle yeah definitely really you really could and it's been up the hill every day three times this weekend and it's surprised a lot of people how well it actually handles like I say it's just about the low centre of gravity and the tyre on the back is actually fairly wide as well that really helps yeah, it is actually, isn't it? It being rear-wheel drive, I was in belt-driven, we've got no mechanical drive at the front, so it's so easy to park. It's got quite a lot of lock, kind of like a London cab, best way of comparing. I've, ju I've just got an image of this power sliding its way through Paddock Hill Bend now, that will just, you know, sort of on <laughs> opposite lock coming out of Druids or something like that. It'll be quite entertaining, I think. see that. I really would love to see that. If, uh, if that happened, that would make my day for sure. I'm here in the paddock with Tom Christensen, fairly inexperienced driver, only nine Le Mans wins so far. <laughs> Good to see you here. This is something I don't think that you've driven here before though, have you? Not here at, uh, at Goodwood, but I've, I've been driving it over all my my obviously long, lovely stint with, uh, with Audi. I have been driving it to uh, different places, Hamburg, Zwickau, Hockenheim, Königsallee in uh, Düsseldorf and a few other places but um, I mean, it, it's, it's a 16 cylinder i haven't been driving for an, it's about 10 years since last time i drove this car with where but now obviously it has the twin rear wheels built on as it's a hill climb today. ah that's what i was going to ask you I, I, it's I, a grand prix car it's, it's a grand prix car but they use twin rears for the hill climbing yes they 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 did you see the grand prix car it's as it is as a bigger fuel tank that you would do if you went uh, for the hill climb alone. It's obviously 16 cylinder, so it's above 500 so horsepower. So this was 36, 37? Type, type C, 1936. An enjoyable drive from your point of view. I mean, you've driven just about everything. Yeah, it's, 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 it's a... Pleasure. It, I'm not saying it's a pleasure, but it's a really a, a great joy. It's, it's a really a proper rocket, a proper car in many ways, but you need to uh, certainly to respect the, the power, the grip level, and uh, a bit of vibration on the whole chassis as you're you going along. Um, steering wheel is, you know, it's very, t from those times, very, very thin steering wheel. There's quite a lot of... Uh, uh, yeah, flex, yeah. And, uh, and then you have a delay in the brakes, obviously. Long pedal, and you need to press it very hard as well with the clutch, but uh, it's got plenty of power, plenty of grunt and um, a fantastic sound when we have us today obviously always running trouble-free 16-cylinder firing. I mean this was one of the fastest cars in the world in, it its, in its day, it's driven by men who were absolute heroes. 
Absolutely. I mean, this was back in the day where everything was sort of invented. Nothing was controlled by regulation. Everything was, you know, it was first time and you you optimize, you invent something, you put it on. And uh, that's, of course, a period of, uh, of uh, a lot of drama. It's a period of uh, a lot of courage. And uh, at the same time, a period of a lot of intelligence as well, uh, all combined, you know, to have an engine in the back, see how way forward you're sitting in, yeah, so in the car and um, the car. The, with, the, with the cooling running beside you. It's, it's even though it's open as it is, and it's very open car, but I tell you, it's uh, incredibly hot around, the, around you in the cockpit. Well, look, enjoy your drive. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate your time. Oh, it's, it's a delight to see these historic cars here, uh, and it's a delight that uh, a current driver is enjoying racing oh, the older cars. It's a great privilege for me. Our tradition brings it, and uh, I get to rock it. <laughs> Good for you. Thank you very much. My name is Jamie Kostorfen, and I'm director of product strategy at McLaren Automotive. You're the man who's uh, largely responsible, I'm sure, in a big way for the new car just launched, the Artura. Uh, very, very interesting reception of it so far. You've been pleased? I've been delighted, but I would, of course, say it's a it's a huge team effort. Uh, I, I've been with the company for uh, 11 years now, and, and and absolutely been involved with the Artura project from the start. But uh, Absolutely delighted to see the reaction to the car today with our fans of the brand and our customers here at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. We saw it for the first time as we came in in the very early hours of this morning because it was going in the wrong direction, or one of them was, because I believe you've got two here because you got slightly lost in one of the car parks. So it was, it was entertaining to get a, a, a first view in that way. It's the latest product from a company that's expanding so rapidly. I mean, set aside for a moment the F1 team, but as a supercar manufacturer, you go from strength to strength. Yeah, obviously McLaren as a brand is coming up for now 60 years of, of racing heritage in a variety of motorsport categories. But as a supercar manufacturer, our, our journey really started in, in 2011. So uh, obviously just uh, over 10 years of, of history now, and we've really built the brand and, uh, and broadened our product range, but absolutely the Artura really represents our, our next generation and in fact the next generation supercar from our perspective. Okay, why is it special in that respect? Well, it very much is a, a, an all-new supercar built uh, around a super strong and incredibly light carbon architecture which uh, we've taken the manufacturing in-house with a brand new facility in the UK and then that's mated to our very latest high-performance hybrid powertrain with an all-new V6, 3-litre V6 engine, incredibly uh, unique 120-degree V6 angle, and that's mated to an exceptionally light, high-performance hybrid powertrain uh, with an axial flux motor delivering a total of 680 horsepower from the car. But this is an interim stage to, I guess, you going all-electric in the not-too-distant future, because that seems to be the way the supercar world is going. Well, we're certainly electrifying our full range, and, and that, that is our intention going forward. So all new McLaren models uh, in the future will have electrified powertrains. In terms of full electric vehicles, we, we're certainly looking at that technology. Of course, any full electric car from McLaren would absolutely have to d deliver the attributes that we expect from McLaren, which is incredible lightweight cars with... Uh, uh, strong performance in a variety of conditions including on track and uh, we're really looking to see how that technology develops in the future. Because it's, it's becoming increasingly common for you to put out the road cars and then other iterations that are in fact race cars. Yes, yeah, so um, obviously we produce uh, a range of road cars, uh, we also produce um, uh, track cars for our customers to use uh, and also full motorsport uh, products and in fact we just this week launched the Artura GT4 a racing car uh, we'll have a number of customers that will take take that car and compete it in a number of uh, racing championships around the world um, and promoting the McLaren brand. Give us some idea of sort of numbers uh, of the Artura and the, and the GT4. What sort of volume production are we talking about these days? Well I mean, as a brand we're really focusing on exclusivity uh, rather than setting any specific volume targets but uh, Artura is you know, an incredibly important car within our range uh, and we're delighted to bring that to our customers very soon. How much uh, is, is there a technology transfer between yourselves and the F1 team 
Uh, and does that work in both directions? Well, we are based on the same site in Woking, uh, under one roof with our not only our, our Formula One team but the other motorsport categories that yeah. we operate in. Uh, and, and there's a lot of a lot of I guess knowledge transfer from from working under that one roof. Same people involved, or is it just sort of coffee shop chatter that they inform each other as to what's going on? I mean, separate teams. Uh, that is important, obviously, with, with um, some of the some of the. Uh, restrictions around the, the spending in, in the Formula One area, but uh, of course, um, you know, there's you, you, the, the benefit of, of having a, a common team in, in one building is you're always going to have uh, conversations at the canteen. It's always been the benefit of basing yourself in one location, and, and you know, others have, have trod that path. But clearly, McLaren as a brand goes from strength to strength. How do you see the future next ten years? Well, it's, it's great to hear that you, you see the brand uh, going from strength to strength. I mean, it's an incredibly exciting time in the auto industry with a uh, you know, change in regulations across the world, different regulations in terms of uh, continent, country, state and city regulations. It's incredibly exciting time to be to, in, the, in the auto industry. And I think McLaren is incredibly well placed. I mean, one of the things that we are renowned for is making uh, very lightweight cars uh, and lightweight engineering is really makes us extremely well placed for the move to electrified powertrains. I seem to remember that was Colin Chapman's mantra, building lightness. Absolutely, that was uh, <laughs> something which, uh, you know, Lotus has done a fantastic job and with Colin, but, uh, but it's also something which is very true to, to McLaren and always has been, uh, right back to actually the F1 road car and of course all our, our racing cars. I'm sat in the Polestar 2 and do you know what I really like it this thing's pretty cool this has got the performance pack or whatever the performance pack equivalent is but there's lots of little beautiful details in here so there's at the top the Polestar logo I can see reflected in the roof and I thought it was printed on the roof but it's actually a light which is built into the headlining that just projects up into the glass and reflects back and there's just so many nice little features in terms of the fit and the finish and, and the trim where the materials, I, I couldn't tell you what they are but they all feel really quite lovely, don't they? I'm just going to try and work out how one thing I do dislike instantly is where's the, uh, the climate control? Yeah, now that, that is a thing, isn't it? Now, if you compare it to something like the mach where it's, it's there in front of you it's not there in front of you. However, is it just because it's off? Well, no, the, uh, the car is active. Oh, OK, so start the clock. Um, Jim is searching through for the climate control as we speak. But otherwise, the buttons are proper buttons. The wipers are proper buttons and indicators and everything else. So this is not very Tesla. One of the little features I do really like, the mirrors. When you adjust the mirror... It's not the glass that moves, it's the actual thing. And you were playing about with that, weren't you? And, and why were you playing about this? What was your thought behind this? It's, uh, well, it's very cool just to watch it. And actually, if you tilt the mirror up or down, does that give you a slightly more downforce? So more front-end grip? Possibly. Well, unlike, unlike well, possibly. I think these are 500-odd horsepower, these things. So, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Um, it's like the most hot versions. I might have made that up entirely. Um, Nice thing though, really comfy. And there's lots of little features that I had in my Volvo, and I was imagining Graham's probably going here's like the little divider in the boot that pops up, so you can put your shopping in there. Nice frames mirror, cool looking, just just really nicely finished. I cannot find the climate control. Still hasn't found the climate control. I just wonder if it's because it's off. If you're listening and you work for Polestar, write to us and tell us. Or if you've ah. got one, oh you have found uh -huh. it. What did you do? Swiped up from the bottom. Of course, because this is a. A Google-controlled car, isn't it? Effectively, it's a yeah. It's very nice uh, use of materials and a few different materials and interesting. The top of the dashboard, in particular, is lovely. Is there only one cup holder? Oh, you have to put the armrest up to have the second one. That's weird. Big centre console. You just have to sit. The car surrounds you. It's very comfy, and you feel very calm. And it's quite a peaceful interior. But there's not a lot of of space is there considering this is a big car there's a lot of shoulder room and you, you feel very comfortable in it but you definitely sit down inside it I'm putting in mind a bit actually of the design intent I suppose for the Focus Mark 3 if anyone's driven one of those where you sit down inside it a bit nice though like it
Right, let's give this a go, shall we? You can try. We're standing next to the Ford Supervan, where the gentleman is very closely associated with it. Your name, sir? Mike Norton. And this is your creation, largely? Well, kind of. It's a whole company creation. There's a big team involved. So from Ford Performance, Ford Design, starred in Austria. So a big team effort. I mean, there are a long history of supervans. This is the very latest, and it's very different. Yeah, it is. As you know, we, we started with Supervan 1 in 1971, and then Supervan 3 came out in 1994. And now, obviously, some years later, we've now got the, the new electric Supervan 4. So this is all electric? All electric, four motors, all-wheel all drive, 50 kilowatt-hour battery, nearly 2,000 horsepower, over 200 miles an hour, 0 to 60, about two seconds. And I gather Roman Dumas is going to be driving it later. He's driving it later, yeah. I think we may as well give up. Thank you. Can you go ahead and go in, just speak loudly. Yeah, I'm just... Yeah, that's yeah. okay. Sam, can you spare me just a moment or two to talk about the car and about yourself? Rarely does anybody manage to mobilise themselves in the way that you have to drive this car. That's, it's quite awesome. Just describe the problems that you have and the fact that you're effectively driving with your breath. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's really amazing technology. I'm, uh, it's, it's a bucket list item to be here at Goodwood, obviously, and, and I'm just enamored with all the vehicles and, and uh, the quality of the, uh, the cars that are going up the hill. But yeah, this, this technology, you know, effectively being able to drive only with the use of my head is it's really amazing. The, the aero engineers have uh, really stepped it up this year, and of course, the performance of the McLaren 720 is quite spectacular too. So I'm just, uh, I'm taking it all in. And uh, yeah, to your point, I mean, this technology can not only help me get up the hill, and if it's, uh, uh, you know, capable of doing that safely and fast, then it's capable of doing a lot of other things too. So the whole goal here is to hopefully, you know, get people with disabilities motivated, get them out of the house and, you know, get them back to work or get them into life, you know. I mean, your colleague was telling me you were up the hill in under 60 seconds yesterday driving. That is quite awesome by anybody's standards. Yeah, I mean, barely in the 59, so uh, hopefully today we can go a little quicker, but uh, keep the car in one piece. Well, well done. I, th I think you're a credit to yourself and, and to the people that are working with you on this, and I've got to get out of the way because the TV want to talk to you next. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Thank you. Good luck. Appreciate it. I'm talking to a gentleman, well I've seen here at Goodwood many, many times. You've been here right from day one, I've been right from day one. Eifert Laumann, who is here as, well is it, is it the Dutch National Motor Museum? No, Laumann Museum. Laumann Museum. Museum. And we are in, in The Hague, and we have a special building built by an American architect, Michael Graves. Yeah. Pure, and we show the whole history from the very early cars, 1880 till, uh, let's say, the 70s. I mean, it's one of the biggest collections, I think, in Europe. Uh, it is maybe, it's one of the bigger ones, but a very specialized and a beautiful art collection is included. And uh, I've seen you buying one or two paintings. I know your predilection for uh, some of the artworks. Yes, correct, correct, yes. We love the art. There's so much to tell around the history of the automobile. And that is what we wanted to, to show in our museum. And uh, we want to show special cars. Like maybe, may I go this, for this? this? Yeah, exactly. For this, this Spiker? Yeah, this is what I wanted to ask you about, because we're standing in front of the 1903 Spiker, which is the oldest car here. It's the oldest but it is the first six-cylinder car in the world. And it is the first four-wheel drive car in the world. And to make it more complete, it's also the first four-wheel brake car in the world. So it is a lot of innovations. This is really something very future for 1902. I mean, it, it's quite extraordinary. 
I, I think there's an image of Spiker these days as a as a modern supercar producer. Correct. This this is the antecedent of that which goes back almost to the dawn of history of motoring history. Spiker started already in the late 1800s and went more or less bankrupt in. 1920 and everything was sold in 1926 but the spiker on the market today is has nothing to do with the old factory apart from the name there's no connection whatsoever correct correct this is such a wonderful car and the gentleman that have been looking after it were telling me you're going to be taking it up the hill anyway. I know you drive up here every year. You know the drive probably better than the Duke does. No, <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. But it's, it's such an excitement to, to go up the hill and to show the car driving to the oldest public. Look how many people are here. They all enjoy it so much. We're all here because we're fans. Some fans are better at collecting cars than others, but we're, we're essentially all fans, and even the drivers here, the ones that are here generally are fans. That's why they're here. We are fans, of, of course, of the automobile. And, and we, are, if I may say, we in our museum, we are fans on the history. The automobile has changed the world so much, and that is what we like to show also to the, to the people. And therefore we have a museum. It's not just a collection of cars, it's a curated collection of cars. Correct, 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 yeah. Well, I think anybody that's uh, travelling any time in Holland should certainly go and see one of the most important museums in the world. I hope as many people are coming as possible. We want to show our lovely collection. Jensen, thank you for sparing me a little time. You're in the paddock here. I know you're very busy. You're in and out of all sorts of cars over the course of this weekend. Yes, well, I've driven the uh, Lotus of Spirit GT4, which is a lot of fun. Uh, that was on Friday. And apart from that, I've been driving up my Rallycross car for Nitro Rallycross and also my Radford Type 62. So it's, it's been, a, been a good weekend and quite emotional driving a car that I'm actually involved with the development of. Yeah, it's been interesting that, that you've got involved. I mean, that's. Is this the future for you to broaden your motorsport base into motoring generally? Yeah, definitely. I mean, rallycross is something completely different for me. But uh, my dad used to race rallycross, so it's uh, it's nice. It's nice to go racing, and uh, I haven't raced yet. But um, I uh, drove the car up the hill in the time trial yesterday, and it was it was good fun. But it's, it's quite edgy up here. But uh, it's 800 horsepower. And I suspect the Bradford project is the first of many. Yeah, well. I've, it will always be Radford, but it's whether uh, it's what the other car manufacturers will be that we were with. I know, but uh, I can't say quite yet. You've got to build a future once you can't drive all the time. Yeah, and it's also something that I'm very passionate about. So it's a lovely, um, lovely project. It's been sort of two and a half years in the works now. The, uh, the Type 62 is obviously launched and the customer cars are delivered in a couple of months. Um, and then we start thinking about the next project. All right, well, good luck with that and good luck with up the hill. Cheers, thanks. Thank you very much. Cheers. We've been wandering around and, and having a look at some of the new stuff, really. I guess some of the, the EVs and, and particularly cheap EVs, which I think has been really interesting. I say cheap, it's a relative term these days when a Fiesta costs 19 grand. There's been some quite interesting stuff out there, isn't there? When somebody says, oh, this teeny tiny car that barely qualifies as a car is 15 grand or 18 grand, and you think, oh, yeah, that is cheap. It does show how much these things have uh, crept up in value over the last couple of years, doesn't it? I have to say, we were expecting it to, to belt it down earlier, and it was, we thought things might get a bit spicy on the hill with, with a bit of, bit of water down, but it's, this, it's been fine, actually. It's got, gone dry again. It's, people are, are milling around. It's... It's nice, isn't it? It's busy. It's always busy, but you can probably hear behind us people drifting and, and flying up the hill as we as we speak. Some things louder than others, it has to be said. Uh, yeah, some of the Formula One cars, the, the current Formula One cars are so quiet by comparison. But one of the things that, that astounded all three of us earlier, standing very, very close to the exit from the collecting area, as the uh, electric cars were coming through, at an incredible speed. I mean, faster than I've seen Formula One cars go up there. Quite extraordinary. It's just 
you know, it just shows the, the, the abilities that they've got. But we've seen some very interesting cars. One or two cars that uh, I've not seen before, uh, even here, you know, and you, you get, I, I jokingly said to somebody, there's no point in going to any motoring museum in the world on the same weekend as the Festival of Speed, because there ain't no cars left, all the cars are here. But there's, there's two things that I saw that particularly stick in the memory, which was the, um, the uh, DB4 Zagato, which has just been restored at a cost of many, many, many millions, and is one of only three in the world that still exist. Um, and, and, and an extraordinary Aston Martin that I've never seen before, which a gentleman uh, stepped out of and then had to rush off. So we may post that photo later, and I'm sure the keen-eyed amongst you will be able to identify it, but I've never seen one. It's the bulldog by any chance, the one with the uh, the doors. It has to be, yeah, absolutely, the gold wing doors. It's a, a fascinating car, the bulldog. It is one of one. It's a 200 mile per hour car that was that was scrapped. So this is this predates the DeLorean with the gold wing doors. In fact, so it's 70s. There was a choice, and that was either press on with this supercar concept or lay people off. And and for the good of the company, they they basically said, right, we can't continue on with this car. But it, it is fantastic to look at. It really is. There's a bit of BMW M1 about the front, a bit of DeLorean about it, perhaps, um, if you if you can sort of imagine. But it's physically larger than a DeLorean, and apparently now it now belongs to Victor Gauntlet. So, you know, you're the Aston Martin man. You'll know that he owned the company at one stage. So clearly, he acquired uh, some of the project. I don't know how much of it is, is, is sort of original, but his son was uh, driving it. But they have spent a vast amount of money on it, and as you say, it's one of one. Yeah. He, absolutely. I mean, we, we had a look at this yesterday, Jim and I, and you, you were saying the smell inside is incredible. Uh, yeah, definitely no, uh, no vegan leather going on in there, was there? But it was uh, a mix of, you could tell there was a lot of brand new engineering had gone into it, but also the retroness of the, of the dash, the LCD electronic dash, just, uh, just screamed late 70s, early 80s to me. That was quite, uh, quite a thing. The car never quite made the 200 mile an hour barrier. It did 192 or something similar in this country. Um, and it was due to be to be shipped out to Germany to, to see how fast they get it to go. And they're going to do that. They're going to take it out there and, and see if it does hit the 200. They think, it theoretically, it should go well beyond. Um, but this was obviously at a time where that would have been an incredible number to have hit. The technology, I guess, in anything else, probably wouldn't really have been there. It's, it's a, a very striking looking thing as well, inboard brakes, just interesting piece of technology. Right, we best crack on and see what else is out there. Look out for part two of UK Motor Talk at the Goodwood Festival of Speed 2022. Available on ukmotortalk.co.uk and wherever you get your podcasts from Friday. UK Motor Talk, a first take media production.